0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dave. I'm here with Emily. And today we are talking to Troy Amy, a senior partner solutions architect, and Dave May, a partner solutions architect. They are both members of the integration and automation team at AWS. And some of you may be saying, what is that? And what do they do? And I think you're going to really appreciate. Uh, This is the team that creates some real world architecture and guidance Everything from, you know, using NVIDIA GPUs to setting up Terraform modules, just lots of real world experience and goodness out there for us to all take advantage of. So thank you so much for for coming on the show today.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having
2: Hi, me. Thank Steve. you.
0: So... Give us a little background of your journey at uh, to the cloud and, and AWS. What does it mean to be a partner solutions architect? I think you're the first one that has that title uh, that we've had on the on the podcast.
2: A PSA. So so a partner solutions architect um, works with partners and says, you know, partner, you have this product that you want to deploy in your customer environment. Um, we want to make sure that you deploy it in a way that that's highly available and that is, you know, highly secure and that is following AWS best practices.
1: We're a little bit more code developers as well, because everything we do revolves around infrastructure as code. Right. Helping right. Our, our partners develop the products um, in an infrastructure as code manner. So um, Dave's definition was great for a standard PSA. I think for us, we're a little bit of a hybrid Um, We do a lot of that with our partners, but then we also help them code and develop ways for them to deploy their products onto AWS in a manner that kind of follows along with IAC.
0: Got it. And so like for me, as somebody who, I mean, I started my career as a consultant, I was doing help desk and then desktop, getting my MCSE. And I'm always curious, like how the field works at Amazon, right? Because I've always had these corporate gigs where I'm working directly with the teams and you're all, are, are you at customer accounts or is like, why don't we explain what the, what the AWS partner network is, right? Because it's, it's huge. I and mean, then I think some of the listeners have probably seen that from a, um, you know, perspective in the marketplace, but what is that Oh, Emily's asking me what an MCSE is. It's, uh, <laughs> should I, should I make a funny name? It's I'm just dating myself
2: again. So, I, no, I think you, it's. So, Go so, ahead. Actually, so actually, as a fellow MCSE, um, there you are. It's, it's a fantastic example. Um, so let's say you want to deploy a Microsoft SQL cluster, right, into a customer's AWS account. Um, and that customer doesn't want to have to sit there and spend hours and hours and hours doing the actual work of deploying that SQL cluster. We have a quick start that deploys it automatically. We have PowerShell scripts that sit in a GitHub repository that, automate the entire deployment. You can have a, a Microsoft SQL cluster set up in a couple hours. Uh, the same thing nice. with the Microsoft Exchange account or Microsoft Active Directory environment, et cetera. So that's that's what we do. We we automate the deployment.
0: Right. With AWS services and give like actual code to go ahead and yeah. start doing some pilots and yep. things like that. So it, the MCSC was a Microsoft Certified uh, Systems Engineer. Yeah, it was NT4O and I was proud of myself. Good job. And it, yeah, you know, it was, uh, it was, it's like the AWS certifications and it was just on that Microsoft stack and setting up uh, NT server. I did Exchange, you know, that was the big thing back then, Exchange and Microsoft. I don't know if anyone remembers BizTalk. Oh, Uh, yeah.
3: (laughs) What was (laughs) BizTalk? (laughs) Pre (laughs) spike? Hammer?
0: Um, Gosh, how could I explain it in terms of today? How would, how would you all explain it? Like it was a way, oh, man. it was a way to tie together mainframes and very different heterogeneous environments into a Microsoft kind of infrastructure and a way to, this is back when there was things like XML and SOAP, which was an early, you had like this UDDI, you had like a directory, just do it, it basically came down to making products talk to each other and everything wasn't. You know, it was all client server back then. So there, it wasn't this event-driven architecture or even APIs that you could call. It was very, very early days. And there was an attempt at that. It was an attempt of, at really trying to bring everything in and put some orchestration behind stuff. So when you would have something come in, you could fire off asynchronous events and all of that. We're still solving the same problems today, right? That's what I love about
3: this industry, <laughs> that we keep renaming things and we make adjustments and things do generally get faster. But it is the same principled issues that we run into over and over and over again.
0: Right. And then we make yep. problems for ourselves with new tech.
3: Yes. Which is why quick <laughs> are so important.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. They're great because a partner can deploy their product for a customer the same way on every customer. They'll have the exact same deployment minus a couple changes in the parameters.
0: And so you're, you're, so we were going to talk a little bit about the partner network and like how your team sits in there.
1: So, So, yeah, so we fall under the AWS partner org, right? Um, We work with the PDMs and the PSAs that uh, are directly engaged with the partners to get the partner into the quick start program, um, which is a great way, again, for them to build on AWS, whether they want to use CloudFormation, CDK or Terraform um, to build out their deployment mechanisms for their customers. And then once we kind of get them into the program, we interact with the partners directly. We help them not only through the coding and the engineering process, but through the documentation process and then work with them on the go to market strategies um, to market their quick starts or their Terraform modules um, that they do. Um, And the best thing about our program is it's free. Partners don't pay for us at all. Customers that deploy a quick start only pay for the services that are deployed on AWS and then any partner licensing or support costs that come along with the actual partner product. So, it's kind of a win win for everybody. Um,
0: yeah. Is, so, if I'm a partner and I'm listening to this, is there a contact for you? Is this like an open program for anyone who's a, a partner working on AWS? Is there like, how does that funnel work to onboard?
2: So, ideally, a registered tier partner is not going to be an ideal partner. We want somebody who's advanced tier or better. But yeah, we have an email address quickstart at amazon.com. Which it blasts oh, our nice. entire team, and somebody will get back to whomever sent it. Ideally, it will be the partner development manager or the the technical account manager who's worked with the partner, who will you know email us and say, hey, we have this idea for this product that we want to automate for customer accounts. We'll then get back with them. We'll set up a thirty minute call. We'll discuss the project, and we'll say, hey, this is a great idea, or we'll say, no, this is a terrible idea. Uh, you know, we'll work with them to make sure everything looks good and works looks like something that would work well for our program and then we'll move forward from there
3: what's the difference i didn't realize there were different tiers what's registered tier versus advanced tier uh
2: so if you start a company acme.com or whatever and decide you want to be an aws partner you can register as a partner it doesn't cost a penny you're a registered tier partner anybody can do that advanced tier is is a partner that's they're generating a certain amount of revenue with AWS. They've had a certain amount of you know historical business with AWS. They've demonstrated a willingness to work with AWS, and so that's somebody who we're going to be more willing to work with because they've demonstrated a willingness to work with the organization to to work with us and to to generate customer wins.
3: Got yeah. It. That's amazing. it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Each tier has certain requirements, so they have
1: they have to have so many employees that are certified in AWS. They have to have done certain things within AWS to make that next tier. It's, it's pretty neat. There's a lot of partners out there that are advanced tier. You know, we've got a lot of partners out that are registered tier and working their way up. So one of the things they can do as they start working their way up is to deploy a quick start on AWS. And then that helps them meet requirements for the next tier because they get customer wins out of it. They get some Salesforce opportunities out of it and they get to do some other things that just help them check the boxes in the, the APM program. That makes sense. So yeah. So uh, quick starts really simple are they're just reference architectures that partners build out, whether it's in CloudFormation, CDK or Terraform that deploy their product within a set parameter of infrastructure on AWS, right, within the services. So uh, in the case of like some of the the Microsoft stuff, you'll get a VPC, you get a, a bastion. Uh, that'll deploy and then the actual pieces of the, the Microsoft software, whether it's the, the SQL database servers, you know, in the case of EKS, you get a VPC, you get a bash, and then you get a full EKS cluster that has some partner products in it like New Relic, TIGERA stuff like that, that can be deployed. So it's a great way of just writing some lines of code that can deploy an entire infrastructure for you within on, a- on AWS. And then they all come with documentation that helps the customers understand how to deploy the quick start. It also repl- has links in it to get them back to the partner if they need support with a specific partner product. With our Terraform modules, everything lives in the Terraform registry. We have our own provider, It's called AWS CC, which is AWS Cloud Control Provider in Terraform. So all our Terraform modules that we do as a team and we do with our partners live out there. And we have a great relationship with HashiCorp. So they've been very supportive as we move through the Terraform piece.
0: If I go to the the AWS Marketplace and I'm going to get an image, this is quick starts are a little different than that, right? This it's mm-hmm. it sounds like it's a lot more customizable. It's not just like you're downloading downloading a thing in order to use that partner product from the marketplace. There's other things on top, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. So if if you go to the to Amazon Marketplace and you sign up for a, an AMI, you know, an Amazon machine image, you've got a virtual machine that's deployed in your account. We have quick starts that actually have that as a prerequisite. You sign up for that AMI, you have the, the machine image that's deployed in your account, and then the quick start automates a highly available, highly secure deployment of that product. So rather than just having a virtual machine sitting in, you know, U.S. East 1, you have multiple virtual machines sitting in us east 1 us east 2 us east 3 or us east 1 i'm sorry a b c etc you know across multiple availability zones in a highly available auto scaling group that is depl- that has the product deployed in a way that is secure and is you know ideal based on what the the partner would like to see their product deployed as so marketplace might give you a virtual machine a quick start might take that virtual machine then deploy it across availability zones in a secure highly available fashion behind you know a load balancer, let's say, with a, a database sitting on the back end that is managed by AWS.
1: You, you bring up a good point, right? So there are quick starts that you can launch right from AWS Marketplace. The quick starts are also consumed by AWS Control Tower, some of the other services. We partner with a lot of the internal services to develop a way where the partner can just build with us. So it's a build once, consume many type model, right? So they come build a quick start with us. And then a lot of the other services within AWS are able to consume that quick start and put it right into the console so you can launch it. So just start
0: thinking about licensing. Like when I'm if I'm gonna go do a, a quick start, am I bringing my own licenses? Is it something that's available as I'm going through the quick start? I know that's an issue that comes up with Marketplace mm-hmm. too.
1: Yeah, it, it all depends on the partner. Um, okay. Some partners, of course, you can get the licensing right through Marketplace. Um, some partners, you know, you have to go out to their sites to get the, the licensing and all that's described in the documentation, right. As a prerequisite, if there's a licensing requirement, a lot of quick starts tend to what our partners do is they'll give you like a trial license just to get it launched. And then once you actually have it up, you can go through the process of going and getting a real license and getting it deployed. Some of them, you have to do it ahead of time. Some of them require you to actually go download their code and put it into an S3 bucket before you launch. But all that's kind of described within that documentation piece that we talked about that comes along with the quick start.
3: Are there any like gotchas or common missteps people make when they're when they're utilizing these?
1: Sometimes people don't think it through as when they're deploying a quick start. They're, they're all production ready. So they're all designed to get you to like 80, 85% of the way to production. Sometimes what we'll see people um, run into issues as is, they don't always take into account their company's requirements for production. So they'll go deploy the quick start and then they'll come back and go, hey, I got written up by our security team for this. And we're yeah. like, well, yeah, if you go look at the documentation, it it tells you, you know, like in the case of, of the Windows quick starts, once they're deployed, you're responsible for getting them set up into your patch manager. Right. We we don't do that because we can't. You know, every company is a little bit different how they they require things in their accounts and stuff. So we get you to like 80, 85% of the way for production. And then, you know, as part of the shared responsibility model, it's on that customer or partner to, to finish it out. So sometimes we'll see some gotchas around there. Some of our more advanced users will see gotchas around where they don't necessarily want to launch it from the AWS Quick Starts landing page. They want to use it from github because these are publicly available in github so if you're not very familiar with how github works and some of the intricacies of a quick start you can get yourself in trouble because you may not pull in the sub modules the proper way or some stuff like that so we'll, we'll get some tickets on that every now and then we recommend that all partners launch them through the aws quick starts landing page which you can get to and I know we, we gave you guys the link, um, but let me yeah,
0: we'll, sh- we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah,
1: you know, but we do have some more advanced users that are really used to quick starts that can that use them through Git. We just that's more an advanced deployment method, and we don't recommend it for somebody new to the program. So
0: I love that it's that you can do automated deployments from Amazon Connect. Is there any other kind of integrations that the quick starts have across everything with AWS services?
2: If you look at the landing page. Um, you'll see we have separate tabs for Amazon Connect, as you mentioned, and Amazon Event Bridge. Right. So we have different integrations with oh, those okay. services. And then we also have quick starts that that deploy internal Amazon services. So we have you know the VPC quick start, which deploy a VPC into a customer account, or the uh, the Aurora Postgres SQL Quick Start, which will deploy a Postgres Aurora database into a customer account. These are designed to sort of undergird partner products. So if a partner has a product that needs a database, well, they don't have to reinvent the wheel. They don't have to write a, a CloudFormation template or a Terraform module or whatever that deploys a database. We've built that for them. They can submodule it and they can integrate it with their product. Got it.
0: So the integration with Terraform, can you talk a little bit more to that? Because we've done some HashiCorp stuff on here. Why did you decide to support Terraform modules? You know, how... Gosh, so, there's so many out there! Like, how how did this come about? I think it's great.
1: Yeah, over over the last probably year and a half, two years, like with everything that Amazon and AWS does, we listen to our partners and we listen to our customers, and we found that our bread and butter had always been the CloudFormation quick starts. Right, that's where everything's been since the team was kind of started. But over the last couple of years, we we had a lot of partners and customers coming to us wanting to do CDK and specifically Terraform. We do have some CDK quick starts out there. Terraform has been a big ask from a lot of partners, especially partners or customers in the financial industry. A lot of those companies tend to be Terraform only. So it just came from listening to our customers and partners that we started down that road. The great thing is we've taken the time, like with everything we do, we've built standards around it. We have our own you know, namespace out there in the Terraform registry. And I, I'm not sure, I think we have like 30 or 40 Terraform modules already launched that we've just launched oh, nice. since the beginning of this year. But it, it's just come from that customer feedback and partner feedback going, hey, we, we really want these on Terraform. The other thing is we've been able to enable some internal teams as well. The EKS team has some new offerings out there called EKS Blueprints, and they developed those in CDK and Terraform, which they were able to do because we've kind of taken that approach. So we're hosting them for the EKS team and they're doing the bulk of the engineering work and support for them, but so they can be found out there. And there's some other teams that we're we're working with that are kind of looking at doing that as well. So it's just been a great way to kind of expand where we're at and give our customers and partners what they want.
3: Can you speak to the differences between Terraform, CloudFormation, and CDK?
1: At the end of the day, they're all just different programming languages, right, with different things behind them. Like with, with CloudFormation, you're either writing your templates in JSON or YAML, which is a subset of JSON that you then can pull directly into the AWS CloudFormation Console right and launch them. CDK is just a CloudFormation developer's toolkit that that AWS has produced that allows allows you to use TypeScript, Python, or Java to script out your infrastructure, and then you can either use that to synthesize the templates and deploy them in the console, or using the AWS CLI and the the CloudFormation APIs just deploy directly into. AWS console and, and kick it off like you would, right? And we see a lot of AWS all-in partners like using CDK because it's given them the flexibility to do things within Python, Java, and TypeScript. So they're developers that know those languages. It makes them a little bit easier for them to just go deploy the infrastructure. They don't have to go learn CloudFormation. You know, and Terraform's the same thing. It's just a, a, a formatted template on um, that, that HashiCorp you know, has developed and has put the Terraform cloud behind and other infrastructure behind to allow customers or partners to deploy infrastructure as code within AWS. Actually, you know, of course, with Terraform, you have the ability to deploy it on other clouds as well. So we see a lot of of partners that have more of a hybrid cloud approach or using multiple clouds want to use Terraform. Because that's what their people know, and then it's just making the simple nuances between you know the different clouds and AWS. So,
3: so if I'm understanding correctly, it's it's less about how it is actually implemented from an architecture standpoint, or how it impacts the deployment, but really about how the engineer is most comfortable uh, programming within within that system.
1: Yeah, I w- yeah. I would say that that's pretty accurate. I mean each each. Each one has their little nuances, and some yeah. do certain things better than others. But I mean, at the end of the day, it really comes down to what the partners and the customers want to use and currently are using, so they don't have to go learn something new.
3: That makes sense.
1: Yeah. What's and, next
3: for? Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say, and we love it because it's just getting more people to do infrastructure as code, which is our main focus in life. So.
3: Yeah. Can we have a, a quick sidebar on infrastructure as code versus GitOps? Have you heard this term, GitOps?
1: I've heard GitOps. I don't know a lot about GitOps, so <laughs> that's okay. Thanks, I think thanks it's for a throwing a hand grenade in the room, Emily.
3: No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, gotchas here. <laughs> I I think it's a rebranded infrastructure as code. I like to ask, yeah,
1: everyone I in this world. no, I, it 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 kind of seems that way to me. I yeah. mean, I haven't done a lot on it. Um, you know, it and infrastructure as code is look. It can be a lot of things, right? Like a lot of DevOps falls under infrastructure as code yeah. too. Absolutely. So it's, you know, for me, infrastructure is code is anything you're doing at a code base, that builds out an infrastructure, right? Like it, it doesn't even have to be on the cloud, right? It could just be, hey, we're going to go spin up a, a three-tier web app in VMware, right? But we were able to code everything to do it. So um, yeah, and I, and I think GitOps is a lot like that. It's just kind of how they're doing it through Git and GitLab, right? Yeah. Instead of sense. just going out and doing your own thing, so.
0: Yeah, that's how I, I always looked at it too, is it's just using Git as the single source of truth. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I think it's funny when people um try and rebrand things that already exist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so well, <laughs> it's just
1: computers. It's
3: also computers.
1: I'm gonna date myself because okay. I started yeah. on VMS back in the day in oh, the early nineties.
0: Vax Vax VMS yeah, Vax VMS and, and
1: Alphas, yeah. man. When the Alphas came out, that was the right? Yeah. So alphas, I mean, yeah. Yeah, we, are they even yeah.
0: around anymore? Don't
1: you know, it's them. funny. I actually got an email a month ago for a company that was looking for a VMS yeah. administrator. Yeah, you, you probably heard
3: the in I have much heard, of yeah, that. It's crazy I mean,
0: because, um, oh gosh, I, I had, I was working on COM and DCOM, creating client-server infrastructures, and basically that stuff is like what COBOL programmers were mm-hmm. getting paid back in the day. Like I've had people saying, Dave, like literally you could go do some, if you could do some com programming right now, there's like 20, 30 year old infrastructure oh, yeah. out there. It's, it's crazy. Anybody it's, knows com? <laughs> yeah,
1: it, it, it's crazy. I mean, but the, the reason I brought it up is everything I see today, I feel like I've seen before. Like we right. kind of go like in the IT industry, it seems like everything's just in a big circle, right? And it, you know, we went from distributed computing, to central computing with mainframes back to kind of distributed. And now with the cloud, we're kind of back to more of the central, you know, like it's just everything kind of comes around. Right. And it's, it's kind of interesting to see. And it's really interesting for me. Like when you see somebody new to it, go, wow, this is really cool. And I'm like, yeah, this is how we handled it 20 years ago. Right. (laughs) But now we have all this new stuff so we could do it a lot better now. And they're kind of like, what? So yeah, sorry. Anyway, I didn't mean to derail us, but
3: you're not no, derailing. Not- we're we're exploring. Does VMS stand for Virtual Memory System? Is that correct, or what is what does VMS stand for? Do you remember? It was
0: this old mainframe system. That's a great. Yeah, one. I mean, you're talking like '92 when I used. Yeah, it. I mean, you're talking
1: yeah. Digital before uh, they got bought out. So you know, Let me see. Was-
0: my quick googling
3: failed me, so I wasn't <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, Dave, that was on- the
0: actual virtual memory. Mat- it was Man- like a. Virtual management memory system, I think, and
1: something like that. Yeah,
0: yeah, it sucked. It's like from the seventies. I had to use it because I was in. It was you know I had computer science in college, and they're like, "You're gonna learn assembly language on a VAX VMS system," and I'm like, "What's that?" And they're like, "Here's a VT100 terminal. Have fun."
1: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know though, man. I mean it. It had some neat thing, like it could do shadow yeah and stuff. Like you could have. It was, it was 32 it, bit
0: it like, I think really too. It was a 32 bit
1: architect. Pre, yeah, it was 32 bit. It was like pre-raid cuz you could have shadow drives like up to three discs and it would mirror the data and you know do checksums across the three discs and stuff so it gave you some data redundancy and back before raid really came out. So it was, I mean it had some neat stuff in it but it was yeah. very simple.
0: I just remember in- I couldn't do it from my dorm room. I had to go up through the streets of Newark into this lab. Uh that's the I terminal, la- man. And sit at the terminal, like find an open terminal seat with all the other people that waited to the last minute to do their final coding project, like me.
3: Y'all, this and sounds then- like my grandfather's like I had to walk three <laughs> miles to school and then- <laughs> Emily, it was worse
0: because you would run it. And then you would have an error. You'd have to print, like, to see what you did wrong. Oh, yeah. So You'd have this dot matrix printer go out, and then I'd be like, "Oh, it's off. I got to go change my code again." Anyway. I yeah. miss oh. dot
3: matrix printers. Can like the like. Like that noise is so distinct.
0: Oh, I have it in my. It's like the the modem dial. I'm not going to do my creation yes. of it, but yeah, we need those sound effects. Maybe I'll put them in this episode. Yeah.
1: You know, well, you know what they they download. put they they put motor sounds into electric cars. We should put like we yeah. should have sounds on our computers when you press a button. It does the old school stuff. It'd be kind of cool.
0: Max, my Mac still does. I so turn on my my Mac Mini. It does the chime. Does Aww. it? Yeah.
1: But That's I, cool. you remember the, the VT100 terminals were orange, and I used to hate it because if somebody let left one on, because you always had yeah, to yeah, it was that amber screen.
0: color. It would burn, burn in the screen. the
1: screen. So then like yeah. you're trying to work on this terminal and you could only read half of what you were trying to do because of all the burn in on the screen. Oh, it was horrible. Yeah. So well,
0: super fun.
3: I'm glad you all had that experience. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wanted
3: to a,
0: yeah. I'll put all these links in. I think if there's like one starting point, is there like a, is there a self-paced workshop? Is there a thing for the, ter- like, where would you suggest people, maybe they listen to this. It sounds really interesting. They want to check it out. They've got some licenses. Maybe contact your team. Like, where's the best starting point for this? And I'll make sure we put in the notes too.
1: Yeah, I, look, I think the best place to start is, of course, the landing page, right? Which is aws.amazon.com quickstart. We have a workshop, which we're actually in the process of redoing. And hopefully we'll have it done by the end of the year right? So that's out at workshop.quickstart.awspartner.com. Um, and then the other thing is just the contributor's guide.
2: Yeah. So if you Google AWS Quick Start Workshop, it's the first result that comes mm-hmm. up. Yep. So rather Got than to memorize the URL. it's amazing.
3: Where can folks find you individually online? Are you on Twitter, LinkedIn? What, do you, what is your preferred social? And it's okay if it's none of them. Bless you. I think that's the healthiest way.
1: Yeah, I can be found on <laughs> GitHub or LinkedIn. Um, I'm not a big Twitter person. Um,
2: that's okay. So. It's a housecape. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, so the Quick Start catalog, as Troy has said, is open source. If you go to github.com slash AWS dash Quick Start, that's our GitHub organization that has all of our Quick Starts. If you go to AWS dash IA, that is our integration and automation organization that has all of our Terraform modules it has our documentation base. So again, this is all public facing open source. Anybody can access it. So it's available to whomever would, is interested.
3: Amazing. Thank you all so much for joining.
1: No, thank you for having us. This was great. Hopefully we didn't derail you too much with our old fogy talk. No, we
0: love no. we love that. We love tech history. It's <laughs> nothing all better about than nonsense.
3: tech. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. this was thank awesome. You so thank much. you. Bye, y'all.